Josh ready to go in the shotgun. Takes the snap. Runs to his right. Going to keep it and run with it. Gets a blocker in front of him. Dives over a man at the 20-yard line. And he heads out of bounds. He's unbelievable. First down, Buffalo. He got all the way down to the 12-yard line. Unbelievable. Make room in the highlight film for that one. Josh Allen left over Justin Reed. First down, Buffalo. Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things. I remember very vividly 2018 season. It was Buffalo at Minnesota. The Bills were 17 and a half point underdogs. And all of a sudden, Josh Allen unleashed, leaping over Anthony Barr, diving into the end zone. We had focused so much on Josh Allen's accuracy and why he was not as accurate as he could have been at Wyoming and how that knocked him down to number seven, yada, yada. Josh Allen can move, and he's been moving a decent amount. Chris, the question is, where's that sweet spot? Head coach Sean McDermott addressed it in comments to Judy Batista of NFL Network over the weekend in Arizona. They want to try to find a way to harness and protect, but also utilize. There's the quote on the screen. I don't think that it's a healthy way to play quarterback in this league. It's undefeated that things are going to happen when you play that style, brand of football. We have to get that adjusted, and it's never going to go completely away, but it has to get to where it's workable. He's one of the best in the league, and I don't want to take his personality away from him. There needs to be an adjustment in that style of play. Now, the curious part is the injury he suffered last year was in the pocket, the elbow injury. He got hit throwing the ball. But the more any quarterback runs, the more a quarterback keeps the play alive and doesn't get down or get out of bounds or get rid of the ball, there's a chance he gets hit. The more he gets hit, there's a chance he gets hurt. That's just the way football is. Yeah, it, it is. And he he, he he plays – he lives on the edge. That, that's what he does. You know, I mean, there's – gosh, there's a lot of plays I feel like every Sunday where we, we hold our breath. Oh, gosh, is he going to be okay? You know, even the play where he hurt his elbow. He was buying time. He was kind of fading to his left, waiting for somebody to, to come open downfield, takes that shot. But, yeah – they're, they're playing with fire, and I think they're at a point of the career here where they got to watch out a little bit. You've gone past now. This is like, hey, this is young Buck who can just handle anything. And, oh, yeah, the young kid, don't worry about him. He'll heal. He'll be okay. We're getting now into the point of the career where you got to watch it a little bit. And what they do with him, and as we've talked about really – at the end of both of the Buffalo Bills' last two seasons, but especially last year, it's just too much on him. I mean, there's just too much on him. And it's not a great offensive line, and it's not like the greatest weapons at receiver. And because of that, he can't help it, and he is the kind of guy that jumps over a bunch of people and into a pile of three defenders who are trying to tear his head off. And that's where, yeah, they got to help him and and maybe change the style of how they play just a little bit to to help him not get hurt and and protect their franchise. And the challenge is, and this gets back to the mentality we were discussing about the Jets, about the Rams, all in, let's go, grab the brass ring. The problem is the more you go, the more you throw caution to the wind, the greater the chance you're going to have a guy who gets injured. And I think the urgency is increasing on the Bills. McDermott was asked about that the pressure that comes from the expectations that they have yet to fulfill. He said, things have to come together in every season of any sport to win it all, and we've been this close, and we keep knocking at that door. He's right, but we've seen what can happen. Sometimes there's a danger in knocking on the door and not kicking it in, and ownership can become exasperated with the failure to kick it in when they see the Chiefs kick it in. 
The Bengals kick it in, at least by way of getting to the Super Bowl. Why can't we? What's missing? We've got one of the best quarterbacks in football. It's either we don't have enough talent around him, which means time for a new GM, or we aren't getting the most talent we have, which means time for a new coach. And I'm not, look, I'm, I'm just being realistic based upon the patterns and the habits and the history that we've seen. Yeah, I got We you. know this is a risk. Right. We know that the pressure is high. We talked last year about how much pressure there was on the Bills going into the season with everyone thinking they were going to win the Super Bowl. It's like, what the hell did we do to be the one with the target on our backs? We haven't been to a Super Bowl in 30 years. Yeah. Go focus on the Bengals. Go focus on the Chiefs. Why are you dragging us down by increasing our expectations? But I think that's still there. I hear Chris. you. I don't think they're going to be as high this year. Right. Externally. Yeah. But internally, I think with each passing year, they're, they're, they're holding on a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter, and people are a little more nervous. And I think that, that this could be the year where if they don't get to the Super Bowl – and if they, or if they would make a quicker exit from the postseason, wild card round, or God forbid for them, not even make it, this could be the year that it all collapses. Well, I I, I understand what you're saying. I do. You know, I, I don't think you're you're not wrong in your thought and what we've seen in you know the NFL and its history with these types of situations. You're right. Yeah, they've been knocking at the door. AFC Championship game. Should have beat the Chiefs in a divisional playoff game up by three with 13 seconds. Don't do that. You know, then you have this year where your yeah, expectations were maybe higher than ever. But oh, let's not forget, too, they had to overcome some obstacles here you know, last year. That was a, a emotionally exhausting type of season. So the pressure is high. I'm not disagreeing with you there at all. Oh, and, and it hasn't been perfect. They haven't been able to get over the hump, but they've been one of the best teams in the franchise. I certainly wouldn't, you know, dismember that or get rid of that, you know, just because the pressure or I want the Super Bowl. It got, it, it, they're close, but there is got to be a little bit of everything there that's just got to get them over the hump, whether that's a little more coaching or, yeah, a few more splash players that we talk about that get them over the hump. That's got to be done. They're just missing one little element, it seems like, every year that keeps them from being the top team. They're one of the three or four or five best teams, but they haven't had that player or that element about their team that's been able to push them over the edge. And we thought Von Miller might be able to do that for them last year. But then he got hurt, and they were right back in that same boat. So, uh, yeah, it's a big year for Buffalo. I don't disagree with you there, Mike. And what did they do with Von Miller? They brought him in thinking he was only going to play a limited amount until they got close to the postseason, and then they would unleash him. They got a little carried away. Yeah. It's hard to do. When you have a guy who wants to play, a guy who's chasing the all-time sack record, and he was on pace for it a couple of years ago, and that's kind of fallen off. But still, he doesn't want to be a part-time player at this point in his career. He wants to be out there. Yeah. Everybody else is out there. Everybody else is taking the risk of injury, so he gets injured, and that's that. And that's part of the balance with Josh Allen as well. We've got this great player. We have to use him. And it may be that Von Miller getting hurt when he was brought in with that expectation. He'd be the difference maker. That has them worried about Josh Allen. I just think that they're at a point where it's very easy to feel nervous. Yeah. It's easy to feel stress. It's easy to be anxious. And you just wonder what kind of messages internally are coming from the top of the organization. Are they happy? And, hey, there are several teams where I believe just good enough is just good enough. 
Maybe maybe Bill's ownership is happy to have a team that gets to the playoffs every year. I don't think so. And if we never if we never get to the Super Bowl, so be it. Yeah. We're in the conversation every year. Yeah. The stadium's full. The fans are engaged. But but you know, sometimes sometimes knocking on that door and knocking on that door and knocking on that door, you eventually pull that person away and find somebody else who can storm the castle. And that, that remember remember John Elway did that with John Fox. A year after they went to a Super Bowl, they lost a division round game at home to the Colts. And John Elway fired John Fox, hired Gary Kubiak, and they won the Super Bowl the next year. Yeah, I I, I hear you. I mean, it's a brutal business that way. Uh, I I don't think this is a group that's content with just being in the conversation. McDermott, Brandon Bean, they want it all. This is their life. They live it, and oh. I, I get the same. I'm not. From, I'm, no, I'm talking I know about you're not. ownership. I know I'm, the I'm ownership. About, I feel like coaching staff. I feel like he's all into the owner. I, that's why I was just getting there, Mike. I was just trying to get there. All right. Yeah, I, sure I think they want. Page. They're all in on two. And again, that's where it's. Yes, you want it, but don't lose sight of reality and how good you've been too. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, they have been impressive, but to the main point, some of it's got to be taken off of Josh Allen. Uh, we go through the best plays of the year for Buffalo. Too much of it is just miraculous Josh Allen, and that's not sustainable. Oh, he breaks seven tackles. He gets outside the pocket and throws a 40-yard laser. He breaks, he breaks four tackles and gets outside the pocket, wants to throw a laser, and then has to scramble upfield for 20 yards and jump over somebody like you're seeing here. He can't be the leading rusher, you know, average yards per carry. He can't be second most on the team and running rushing attempts, you know, and only, you know, 50 something carries from leading the team. That's just, it's too much. And it can't be, oh, every time it's a big moment and it's third and four or less, well, the hell with our running backs because they're not good enough. We're going to run the ball with Josh Allen. That's where it's just too much. And maybe that's where Damian Harris can come in and help them a little this year. Got a free agent running back from the Patriots. Maybe he can be that sledgehammer to where. Josh Allen doesn't have to worry about it or be that guy so much to, to all the things you discussed earlier, Mike. I almost feel like at times we see Josh Allen play in a way, Chris, that yeah. is a manifestation of the urgency that the team has. Yeah, I hear you. We got to get this done. Right. I got to get this done. That, exactly. I'm the one chasing right. Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow for this mantle of who's the best. I'm the one that has to carry this thing. And that's where... That's where Andy Reid, I think, has found the right spot for Patrick Mahomes to be that guy, but not have to be that guy all the time. Yeah. And right now, the Bills are in a spot where Josh Allen has to be that guy too, much. too often. Right. So I guess to address Sean McDermott's concern, you need other guys that can take some of the load, I, that's who can what, run the ball and right. get seven or eight yards, right? Who can take a little swing pass out of the backfield where you don't extend the play for seven seconds and put your guy at risk. Exactly. Something designed, something right. quick. M- keep it moving Ooh. that way. And and then and then and then restrict the moments where Josh Allen tries to take over and, and win the game. Right. That's like who who's done some of that for them the last few years? You know? I know they have digs. But not even, you know, Diggs is not even the kind of guy that, like, catches a slant and runs for 50 yards. You know, there, there's not that. that. That's where, yeah, they got to have some guys that take some pressure off of him that way. You know, hey, Joe Burrow, got the th- he can throw a shallow cross to Jamar Chase and he can run for 80 yards for a touchdown. 
You know, like we talked about, Kirk Cousins can throw the ball up into a crowd of people. Justin Jefferson gets it no matter what. Let alone he can do things after the catch, except when it's fourth and eight. Well, yeah, well, yeah, and well, and there's the huge, you know, sexy Dexy bearing down on you. But yes, I think ultimately there's a lot we like with the Bills. There just needs to be a few more splash players to get them over the top in some big moments against the cream of the crop in the NFL. And I feel like that's where they're missing a little bit. They're going to be relevant. And they're going to be in contention as long as they have Josh Allen. The question is, what will they do by way of competing for championships and or winning at least one while they have Josh Allen? Because at some point he'll be gone and they'll be back to where they were after Jim Kelly was gone. That's where that urgency comes from. And that's why I think this year is a critical year for the current regime. The GM and the coaching staff, it's important for them to stay on the same page because it would be very tempting, Chris, if it goes sideways this year for Brandon Bean to whisper to Terry Pagula, hey, I got the players. This team's good. It's not me. And then Sean McDermott, when he gets a chance to speak up for himself, to say, hey. Yeah, the opposite hey, of that, right. I need more players. Right. I need more players. What am I supposed to do? Right. I need better players, and I don't have them. All right, uh, let's take a break. This was one of those weekends where there wasn't a lot that went on, but there was a lot that went on after Chris signed off on Thursday. So we're going to pull out the hammock graphic with the pina colada and the wacky tabacky, and we're going to talk about some of the things that happened while Chris was not working on Friday. We'll do that next year on PFT Live. Simsisms. Dick for tag. The performance hasn't been the same, right? So you don't get exactly the, you know, tick for tack is that where he was drafted. So... Yeah, Cleveland's taking a little bit of a, a a flyer. I know I've only slept three hours. Yeah, tick for but tack. Did I hear you say tick for tack? I, you're not going to say like tick for tack, like Alden Smith for Robert Quinn. And I was scared to say the word there because I don't know, for some reason I was like, it doesn't sound right and I'm not going to throw that word out there. Well, as long as you have for tat on the other end, you're... Yeah, I'm okay. I know. Simsism. I've noticed a trend now that with the Simsisms, we cut to my reaction. Yes, we do. We got a we got a close up of like how how yeah. dumb did he think that comment was? <laughs> reaction from Mike here's, Gloria. <laughs> here's Chris's reaction to everything that happened from the time the show ended on Thursday until now, because he doesn't work on Fridays. He's got his pina colada. He's got his his legs that are a different shade of white than his face, and he's <laughs> he's on his. His hammock at the beach. Damn, um, that looks good. All right, you missed uh, you missed some stuff, man. Oh now, yeah. We had talked about we had talked about the Lamar Jackson representative, unnamed at the time, contacting right. teams on right. his behalf, and what a mess that was. On Thursday late afternoon, the NFL sent a memo to all teams saying, "Thou shalt not negotiate or talk to a man named." Ken Francis, uncertified by the NFL Players Association, that person. And the way it was worded was he may be contacting teams. I think that was the product of a little political back and forth between the union and the league. And let me just say this. There's people who think the union ratted on Lamar Jackson because the memo from the league said the NFLPA has informed us that this is happening. The union, if they're aware of it, has an obligation under federal labor law to alert the NFL to it. 
They're doing the right thing. They're doing the only thing. They can't be aware of some player being represented by a non-certified agent and say nothing about it as a favor to the player. If they're aware of it, they have to say something. So however it happened, the league got aware of it. The league sent out a memo, slammed the door on Ken Francis negotiating or trying to get teams to make offers to Lamar Jackson. And now, Chris, I don't want to say Lamar Jackson's in checkmate, but he's in check. He's got to come up with a move now because only he can talk to the teams or he has to go hire an agent. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll be interested to see what he does. Uh, to this point, though, I would figure, no, that just means he's going to talk to the team. You know, but but obviously this is you – know, I know that Lamar put out a tweet with his usual eye roll emoji or whatever, which is almost a, like now a telltale sign of like, oh, it's the truth. When he puts out that emoji, it's like, well, you know that's the truth then because that's what he does. Right. But, you know, Tom Pelissero, I know, wrote about the negotiating. You know, this is we're getting into, you know, immunized and things like that here a little bit. Like, OK, fine. He didn't negotiate. Uh, you and I know he didn't negotiate, but he's been calling teams. No, because the teams wouldn't. Exactly. Because they wouldn't. He's been calling on behalf of Lamar Jackson. Negotiate. OK, no, fine line. Right. That didn't happen. The teams are too smart to do that. So, yeah, but either way, this is out there, and the NFL put this out there. They didn't put this out there because they were like, hey, let's just put this out there for fun because it's real. The NFLPA, there's people in the NFL that are calling the NFL going, wait, this guy's calling because of Lamar Jackson. The NFL didn't put this out because they were like, hey, let's just let's smear Lamar a little bit more here. That, that's, you know, people are being a little crazy with this conversation, so – yeah, I don't think there was any negotiating going on, but was there calling an interest of Lamar and talking and bridging the gap there? Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, the NFL and the NFLPA had to do right here by, by the agents who were doing it the right way. Look, I don't know if it goes back to the trends we've seen in our political realities for the past eight or nine years where anything you just don't like to hear, you say it's wrong. You disagree with it, even if it's the truth. I go back to last year when Marquise Hollywood Brown was traded by the Ravens and Lamar acted like he was surprised, like he didn't know that Hollywood Brown wanted out. And Hollywood Brown made it clear that Lamar did know. So he'll go on Twitter and he'll tweet some things that are diametrically opposed to the facts. And we've seen that over and over again, how he took issue with us when we were talking about his inability to get a massive shoe deal yeah. that he could have had if he would have had proper representation and he he did the lebron james yeah gift, eye roll expressing right. dismay or disagreement or right. whatever and people just people just assume just like with odell beckham saying i never nobody's ever quoted me as saying i want 20 million a year and everybody just assumes he's telling the truth and that his agents weren't asking for 20 million a year just because he said it oh he said it that puts it to rest who cares we can say anything we want that doesn't mean it's accurate and we've seen that, like you said, put on the eye roll emoji or the laugh until you cry emoji or whatever, and you just deny it. And, and in this case, look, and, and people say, well, how do you know? How, you weren't there. You didn't take the call. You don't know that Ken Francis called these people. When you – and I want to measure my words here because it is a level of stupidity that we encounter all the time, especially on social media. We know people in the league. These people aren't lying to us. Yeah, we know. Three different Period. people right. who work for three different teams right. coming up with the same damn lie right. that the same person called them that called the others. I mean, this happened. 
It was happening, and the only chance, the only sliver that Lamar's telling the truth here is if Ken Francis did all Ken Francis, excuse me, did all this without telling Lamar. Which I'm not going to say is impossible. It's unlikely. Yeah. That's the only way that he would be able to say Ken Francis didn't do it if Ken Francis was doing it without Lamar being aware. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that would be the only way. I don't think that's the the reality of the situation, though. There's there is a relationship there between the two and. I don't know, Mike. I don't know if this means checkmate or not, but you know, I, I just again, yeah, Lamar. If the the way this is, and you're the quarterback, and you're rep- you you got to be the one that's calling these teams. It's got to be you. Uh, you're the one that's got to do the work here. Uh, this is this is where you're saving the three percent. Now you have to do it. But yeah, it's just it's again, it just continues to be one of the more odd situations I can remember in NFL. History, recent history, at least this this whole thing. It's crazy where we're at. I don't know where it's going, and I just I don't know if I see a happy ending when it's all said and done. Unless he hires an agent, I think it's going in this direction. No offer sheet for Lamar Jackson. It comes down to whether or not he and the Ravens can work out a long term deal by July seventeen. I don't think they will, unless he hires an agent. And after that, then does he show up for thirty two four? Do the Ravens offer him some sweetener? We've talked about maybe a per-game roster bonus, up to a million a game to give him an incentive to play. Get to $49.4 million for the year if you start or play in all 17 games. That's a way to entice him to show up and play this year. But there's a chance he just doesn't play this year. There's a chance he never agrees to a deal. And then next year we do it all over again. Well, the Ravens tag him again. Yeah. That's going to hurt him and, ultimately. And we're right where we were. Right. To not play for a full year. We, we still don't know what the impact of not playing for almost two years had on Deshaun Watson because we only saw six games. But the idea of a guy in his prime giving up a year of it over a contract dispute because he's unable and unwilling to accept the best offer the Ravens made or not in a position to properly negotiate with other teams because he doesn't have an agent out there lining them up to get them to make him an offer sheet, if it comes down to him not playing at all in 2023, yeah, it's horrible for the Ravens, obviously, but it's not good for him either. No, it's not. It's definitely not. I mean, you're losing another year of your prime where you're losing value to your overall self-commodity and what your worth is. You know, that was not going to help him. Oh, wait, you're a year slower? Oh, wait, you didn't actually play football, so you need time to get back in? None of that's going to be a positive for Lamar. You know, so that's... um, yeah, it, it's it's crazy that we're at this that this spot, and I don't know where it's going to go. But I'm with you. It kind of seems like we're going down that same road that you just explained. I wouldn't be shocked to see it all go there. Uh, and and the reality is, if he doesn't play this year, that's money that goes away that is never coming back. Just like the 41 million more that Josh Allen has made over the last two years, more than Lamar Jackson because he's had his deal in place. Allen's going to get paid again this year. And uh, obviously, if Lamar doesn't play, he won't. Another thing that happened, and this came out on Thursday, the list of final rule proposals on which Uh we'll vote this week. The thing that wasn't there created the the most consternation on Friday as Peter King and I spent a lot of time talking about no proposal to remove the rule that allows teams to strategically push the quarterback into the pile to try to gain one or two or hell. The Eagles could probably gain seven or eight yards off of that thing against the right defense. Well, Mike, I, I thought of you when I, because I, I was surprised to see this, right? 
And, you know, then, and, and, but like, so I saw it and then I was like, well, and I thought of you and I was like, well, I'm not that surprised. I mean, first off, Hey, player safety, other than the quarterback, they don't care that much. You know, they don't care about D tackles, having nine guys block two of them and then being put in a bad position. So that, and then the ultimate thing, Mike, I think is the big thing here is just, Hey, it's offense. And that's what they want. They want more first downs and more points and more first downs and more points and more first downs. So if defensive tackles got to get steamrolled by seven guys to get those first downs and keep offense going, then the NFL is so be it. Eat it. Eat it, defense. You got to deal with it. So uh, I know I was thought maybe this might get changed, but then the more I thought about it and when it came out, I was like, well, of course it's not. Everything's favored for the offense, and this is what the NFL wants. The quarterback could get injured, too, though, getting pushed from behind into that pile. And here's what Rich McKay said. He's the chair of the competition committee. He said on the Friday conference call, they don't have any injury data on this yet. Well, do you need injury data on it to understand what the injury risk is? This is where the NFL drives me nuts. Of course. Reactive, not proactive. Right. We'll wait to change the rule the moment after the bad thing happens that we should be smart enough to envision will happen. Whether it's a D-tackle getting his ACL blown out when he's got all this humanity coming straight at him, whether it's the quarterback getting squished in this reverse tug of war that's going to go on between the defensive line, the offensive line, and the guys pushing the quarterback from behind, whatever it is, it's within, and this is where, you know, one of the things you learn in law school, this is the definition of negligence. You, you, you look at your behavior and you have to reasonably foresee the risks resulting from your behavior. You can't just say, well, I didn't have any idea that, you know, if I did this, somebody could get hurt. There's an obligation to apply reasonable foresight to your actions. And how can the league not reasonably foresee that guys can get injured? Who cares if you don't have injury data? You don't need injury data to know that guys can get injured. Well, it, it's, it's a little, and, and again, I know it's not quite the same, but it has similarities to me of like, you know, protecting the long snappers, protecting the field goal snappers a little bit of that. I understand it's short yardage football and all that's really good, but okay, then let's let them deal with the guys that are right there in front of their face. But, you know, like you're saying, or like we're explaining, we showed those clips. It's not only, wait, I'm Chris Jones and I have to deal with two guards in a center. I have to also then deal with, wait, Jalen Hurts. Oh, wait, a tight end who they have now between the center and the guard who's going to push. Oh, a running back that gets a head start behind him and now pushes. And then maybe even another running back between the other guard and center gap to push as well. And that's where you worry about, like, yeah, is that sustainable? Is that good to have that much manpower and weight in one little area there to where – yeah, I would think eventually you're going to see some defense alignment get hurt because they're going to get caught in some you know, very compromising positions. Now that this is a thing, you're going to have coaches on the offensive side who come up with the most creative ways possible to do it, and you're going to have defensive coaches that come up with the most creative possible ways to stop it. And that's what gets to the point that I think we agree on completely. Somebody's going to get injured, and then they're going to say, oh, we had no idea. Oh, we better do something about this. Yeah, you should have done something about it before the injury happened. Classic NFL. And hopefully, hopefully, someone will show leadership today or tomorrow to change that status quo. And as I said the other day, maybe the guy whose name is on the football is the one who should show the leadership to make this thing boom gone and that's why you're not at the owners meetings he called and he said make sure that asshole ain't here this week
I'm talking. To, I'm talking about the Duke. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. About the Duke. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, sometimes when a guy signs with a new team, you have to Photoshop how he's going to look in his new uniform. Sometimes you don't. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. What up, what up, 12? Bobby Wagner here. Excited to be back. Excited to be back on the team. I miss you guys, and I look forward to this season. Oh, he's back. Bobby Wagner. Back with the Seattle Seahawks after a one-year break. Played for the Rams. Was due to make about $11 million this year with the Rams. They had a mutual parting. It's a one-year $7 million deal for Bobby Wagner to return to the place where he got started. Second-round pick in 2012. The same draft as Russell Wilson. They both left the same year, but Wagner is indeed back. Teammate Quandre Diggs is the one who broke the news, beat all the insiders in the thumb race to Twitter. Diggs broke it, and off uh, off they go. There it is, according to my sources. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, sources. Future Hall of Fame linebacker Bobby Wagner has agreed to terms of return to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, like They have a need there, and Chris, I know that, that he's not – as dominant as he used to be, you can't maintain that. Right. Your second decade at such a physically demanding position. But I think it's great for the Seahawks. It gives them a lift. It's the Seahawks and the 49ers in that division. I mean, the Rams are who the hell knows where. The Cardinals are who the hell knows yeah, where. Yeah, right. That's gone from the best division in football to a two-team race. Yeah, it's, it goes back to our conversation we had you know earlier in the show, right? How quickly it all changes. The shelf life of football teams, all of that. Uh, but... Hey, is Bobby Wagner still, yeah, a really good football player? Is he the superstar he once was? No. But, I mean, one, we know he's a part of the DNA, the culture, the, the just the bloodlines of Seattle. He's a Hall of Fame middle linebacker. Their starting middle linebacker, Jordan Brooks, he he's hurt with an ACL injury. He's not going to be able, or at least be hitting on all systems go to start the year. So that's where it makes sense for Bobby Wagner. They signed Devin Bush, right, from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a free agent. They signed him to a one-year deal. So they got a little versatility, flexibility, and some guys that got some talent there. And uh, it's good to see Bobby Wagner, you know, go back home and and be at his be at his spot. Yeah, and look, I think he was going to stay on the West Coast. This wasn't a surprise from the moment it became clear the Rams were moving on. The Seahawks were the obvious candidate. Yeah. There was a report the Cowboys had talked to him, but I think that all along, because last year the Ravens, I think, were in the mix for Bobby Wagner when he was available, but I think there's always been that that pool to stay on the West Coast, and now he goes back to the place where he started his career. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, what questions do we want answered? Once we get done here in Phoenix and we're able to go out and start chasing around the movers and shakers, what questions do we want answered during the annual meeting? That'll be our draft for Monday's PFT Live. We'll do it right after this. Some Daniel Snyder news from last night. According to the Washington Post, Snyder has declined to be interviewed by Mary Jo White so far. 
Apparently, she's going to try again. I don't know if she's going to say, pretty please with sugar on top. I mean, the guy's already said no. Why do you keep trying? And, of course, that investigation will continue to be unfinished until the moment Daniel Snyder sells the team. Exactly. And then it becomes irrelevant. And, Chris, I think the fact that he's refused to be interviewed is just more proof that he's going to sell the team. Agreed. I'm right there with you, Mike. It's the first thing I thought, too. Yeah, he's denying to do the interview because he's like, well, I'm going to sell this thing. You know, in the next five or six months. So what the hell is the point of the interview anyways? Uh, I'm right there with you, Mike. Or sooner than five or six months. Yeah, right. The word in the building that's being used is imminent. And uh, that was as of 11 days ago. So who knows what will happen this week in Arizona. Although officially nothing on the agenda. But that doesn't mean anything. The agenda ultimately is whatever the owners want it to be. So what questions do we want answered at the owners' meetings this week? Chris, I'll give you the first pick, as I always do. You are. You're such a nice guy. Thank you so much. Um, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo something that Sean Payton said, and that roughing the quarterback, the calls there, the inconsistencies there. You know, that, they're, that's driving coaches more mad maybe than any other rule in there because there's too many times where, wait, we coach defensive player to do exactly what was told and done and everything, and we still got a penalty. And we got this guy, and we fit, created the mismatch on the wrong guy or exposed their protection, and we told him to tackle the quarterback this way, and he did it, and he still got a penalty. That something's got to change, whether it's, you know, a, a, a change in the bylaws, the language of it, the reviewing of it. Either way, there's too many calls that we watch every Sunday where, of course, we go nothing the passer or we go, are you kidding me? Are you this guy's making $40 million a year and somebody blew in his ear and they threw a penalty flag? Like, that, that's got to stop. It, it, to me, it, it hurts the game, and it's rewarding a lot of bad offense, which you know drives me crazy, Mike. I think the bottom line is they see the connection between overuse of roughing the passer and keeping quarterbacks healthy, and they are obsessed with keeping quarterbacks healthy because more healthy quarterbacks means more good games, means more people watching, means more money for everyone involved. I'm going to go more broadly here. Officiating generally. What are they going to do? There's been some talk about full-time officiating. I was told last night that that has petered out in recent weeks. The competition committee has consistency among crews as one of its top agenda items. You had the commissioner say several weeks back that officiating has never been better, which prompted a machine gun of BS calls from you live in the UK. That was when we were in Phoenix. So they got to hear it live and unbleep, not that they ever bleep us anyway. What are they going to do about officiating? Are they going to enhance the youth, uh, the use of the, the booth review, the sky judge, the active real-time assistance of the people on the field? Are they going to have full-time officials? What are they going to do to get more consistency? Easy way to get more consistency, Chris, is to have full-time officials who gather in a central location when they're not working games, Kansas City, Dallas, wherever. They all live there, and they spend all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday going over every call that is even remotely interesting from the week that was and hammering into all of the crews, all of the referees, all of the line judges, all of everyone, here's how we want it to be done. That's how you enhance consistency. You have these people together all the time looking at the same thing, thinking the same way, and then hopefully applying the rule the same way when it's time to go back to the field of play. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, and I'm certainly behind that. And I, there's nothing but positives in that one for me. 
You know, the only negative is just the NFL what? Doesn't want to pay for it. I don't even, I don't even know what other negative there could be. That makes no sense. Everything that we try to sell about NFL team building, you know, work ethic, being on the same page, all that applies to the 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 officio, officiating, you know, conversation. Why would you they don't not see want? the benefit? They don't yeah. see the benefit of spending the money because they don't care about the periodic bad calls. I had Jeff Fisher once tell me on this show with a straight face when he was on the competition committee. Basically, we like to give you guys things to talk about. And, and they benefit from the never-ending flow of bright, shiny object. Big controversy from a bad call. Oh, yeah. wait, there's a game tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. There goes the controversy. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear that. But, you know, it, it's, it, I get worried that, you know, like Mark Cuban said, pi- you know, pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered. And we're continuing to try to save a few hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars and it's going to be the wrong call at the wrong moment, and it's going to turn things against the NFL. That's what I don't want to see. Um, all right, next one I'm going to go to your mic. Is the hip drop tackle? You know, I feel like is this thing going to happen? Are they going to have conversations about this? But, of course, the play that got Tony Pollard hurt in the divisional playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers and a play that we see all the time. You know, I'm one again. Yeah, I, that tackle needs to be taken out of the football game. This is not the rodeo. This ain't hog tying. Okay, we're not hog. Get the hog down, and we're gonna tie them together. Like that's what they're doing. This is tackle football. Tackle the guy. You know, you've heard me get on. I, I think the gloves on defenders are part of this conversation because they never fall off anymore. But that tackle has no business in the game. And I would like to see that go away, or we're going to continue to see a lot of lower leg injuries from ball carriers. It's not one of the proposals. The union is against it. They have issues about officiating it in real time. Would they even see it? But it's a lot like the horse collar. It's that injury that comes from dragging a guy down from behind, especially if you land on those lower legs exactly. and, and cause Get the dead serious weight. injury. Right. All right. Uh, the other one for me, and this goes to the pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered after they're hogtied uh the mark cuban line i invoke that on friday because the thursday night flexing which is going to be up for a vote Uh as soon as today where you take a game from a thursday night between weeks 14 and week 17 a thursday night game becomes a sunday game a sunday game becomes a thursday game on 15 days notice how does that work to me this is well a good good question you know how it works you know how it works it makes amazon happy that's how it works and this is all about catering to amazon giving them a better schedule, giving them higher ratings, and it sets the stage for the next wave of TV deals where it's going but, to be a greater prevalence of streaming. But I don't fly in until Friday part. before the Sunday game. I'm coming in Friday for the Sunday game. Uh, so well, You're going to miss the game. Well, the, the, the game. then they need to figure something out there. The, the, I don't understand how that's going to work. Uh, that 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 that's crazy to me. It 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 it's now that's your problem. If you've planned to go to a game from weeks fourteen to seventeen, if you plan to travel to a game, you know going in there's a chance that game's going to get moved from Thursday to Sunday or Sunday to Thursday, and that's part of the risk you assume. And they don't care if it's inconvenient for you. They care about boosting those Thursday night games late in the season. And I expect it to pass, and we'll see where it goes. From here, let's take a break. We'll do round three when PFT Live concludes right after this. (laughs) 
One more round to go. Questions we want answered. We can handle the truth if we ever get it. What other questions would you have, Chris? Uh, I, I want to know from the bosses at NBC or the bosses at the NFL about who called who to make sure Florio isn't at the Arizona oh. owners <laughs> meetings. That's what I want to know. Stop. That That's really Stop. what I – who is it? Did Roger call NBC and was like, hey, you know, you guys probably can't do the show there, um, so uh, – you know, where we need to find other arrangements. Or did NBC go, hey, we don't want to bother you with Florio, so we won't send him. We're, we want to have some, you know, conversations with you, and we want you to like us. W- which way do you think it went? I don't know. I'd like those, ans- I'd like those answers. <laughs> you know, the fact that you raised that question has me very tempted to go straight to the airport, get on a plane, and just show up. Oh, I wish I you would. I wish you would. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Uh, uh, last one from me. Last one from me. Uh, what will Andy Reid be wearing in the coach's photo? And also, <laughs> right. who won't be in the photo? Because right. there's always, like, Bill Belichick's never there. Or, or like, last year, Bruce Arians left before the photo, and look what happened. So, if anybody's not in the photo, get ready. You never know what's going to happen next week. But, uh, yeah, what's Andy Reid going to be wearing, Chris? Well, uh, a, big, a big red, you know, Hawaiian type of shirt, something like that. His go-to. All right. I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow from Arizona. I'm on my way. See ya.